Welcome to this episode of Halfway to Somewhere uh, with your hosts, Calliope, that's me, and Betty Rubble. How are hey. you doing, Betty? I'm doing well. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you Cal, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I like to shorten. I've always been enamored by the name Calliope since it, I was a young person. It's and a lovely name. I do. I love it. It is a great name. So today, we are going to kind of do things a little backwards as anyone who's heard our first episode we are going to do an introduction episode because we do things however the hell we want don't we <laughs> we sure do yeah, we do uh and so we are gonna talk a little bit about you know what we're doing here what we hope to accomplish why it's important to us share some stories a little bit about ourselves um and yeah yeah from there. we're gonna so Definitely, are we are covering topics related to queerness and kink and polyamory and sex relationships. So those are all things that you know any listener can expect to hear about. Um, Indeed, why are they important to us? Why are they important to you? Why do you care about that stuff? Um, well. I am queer, kinky, polyamorous, sexual, in relationship with people. Sexy, maybe. I might be. You might I mean, be. I think so. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't gotten the test back yet, though. <laughs> My 23 and sexy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think same, right? Um, yeah. I am a, I'm a moderately sexual person. Um, for those of you who are listening, uh, and you cannot read Cal's ir irony in that, or maybe sarcasm, which is funny because you don't always love sarcasm mm. as a sense of humor. Yeah, no, it's rough for me. It's but... my favorite, but so yeah. I appreciated that. I picked up on that. <laughs> um, I, I am, I'm uh, a very sexual person and, um, I am a very kinky person and I, engage in polyamory in a very deliberate and thoughtful ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I am, I think, relatively recently out as queer, you know, given the, the timelines. My, my daughter came out to me at, um, what was it, just uh, 13. Mm -hmm. And it, it took me about 30 more years than her mm -hmm. uh, to come out. Maybe we can share a little bit more about that. Um, but it's been a beautiful journey for me, nonetheless, irrespective of when these things happen. Um, and it's exciting. Yeah. Um, We've had a lot of conversations with people, too. And we realized that, um, you know, as we were sharing things about our own experiences, whether those were individually or as a couple, um, whether and whether that was with friends or other partners, that, you know, we had something that we felt was important to share with the world and that it, it seemed that was benefiting other people. And I think to that point, we wanted to share that because um, I think we've both learned things on our own journeys that have, you know, both at an introductory level that, you know, we needed things explained to us or we needed definitions or we needed to think critically about ideas, but also, you know, in some capacities, 
you know, we've had a lot of experience and we're still benefiting by hearing other people's ideas, other people's definitions. And we wanted to offer that. So no matter whether someone was kind of new to kink, polyamory, queerness, sex, like relationships, what have you, or was somebody who had been doing any or all of those things for a long time, that they could enter in with an open idea or open attitude to considering you know, how do they think about things? What is it that they don't know about? What is it that they know a ton about? How do they want to think about it differently? And how could it help them to either consider or reconsider the way that they approach those things? Totally. I had a a mentor um, a while ago, and I think this sentiment goes for me personally in all aspects of my life. But I think for this show as well, which is, um, he, he was, a um, a, a, a pretty confident human, but also humble and had some big ideas, um, and was always open to getting better. And he shared with me, um, this little maxim, um, after, you know, we were working together to, to start a new initiative. And he said, uh, I always reserve the right to get better. And mm-hmm. I think that yeah. goes true. And that is true for every aspect of my life. And we, as a podcast, will always reserve the right to get better. We yes. are going to learn and grow. Um, I do that, whether it's in my personal life, my kinky life, my sex life, my relationship life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always looking for ways to get better, no matter how much experience I gain there are always ways that I can learn and grow. And hopefully this will be helpful to some folks out there that are looking to do the same thing or at least share the same philosophy. Yeah. In a world where we need a little more humanity and community, why not? Absolutely. So, Betty. Cal. Why is this thing important to you? Why are we doing this? Why are you doing this with me of all people well uh one i am crazy in love with you um so that's helpful (laughs) i won't i won't stop um but two i think you know our relationship has really been built on a desire for both individual and united growth and um i have always found I, I, you know, contrary to what you shared, I was closer to your daughter's age when I started my coming out process. Um, and that, so that has been, you know, um, well, I guess over 30 years of really thinking about that and lots of iterations of what that means and, um, the way in which I define my, um, gender identity, my sexual orientation, my spiritual belief system have all sort of centered around this idea of fluidity and changing and growing and expanding and contracting based on the things that I experience, the people that I meet and the places I go and um, the experiences that I have. So for me, this feels like an incredibly both personal, but also community focused way to be able to engage topics that are really important in my daily life 
that I feel like I've had so many conversations with people who are also really important to me, whether they're a friend, uh, someone I've been in relationship with, a family member, to be able to think about how do we how do we engage not only with the people we're in relationship with, but also how do we engage ourselves? We are the person that we are in relationship with from literally birth to death. We are we are our primary relationship. That's right. So I know some people approach that from a, a solo poly attitude, but I think both of us um, believe that that's true. And I think that's true on a cellular level mm. of like, I am responsible to my physical being, to my sexual being, my emotional being, spiritual being, all of these things first and foremost, and my relationships impact that. And so I also feel like I have an obligation to contribute back to the community in the world that I'm a part of. Um, and so it's important for me to be able to not only keep growing and thinking myself, but also to share with others so that I can help them um, on their own journeys of thinking and growing as individual people and people in community. Yeah. I'm curious. What about, what about the, 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 the kinky and queer part, I'd love to learn uh, and share with the audience some of your experience. You've had much more time, certainly, with your queer identity. Mm -hmm. um, and I think your kinky identity, a little less time. But how has that, like, how have you navigated that? Um, tell, tell, tell us all a little bit about the different types of relationships. You were married once. That's it a was. big deal. It is, yeah. Um, and then you were married and opened things up. That is mm -hmm. in itself like a gargantuan task of negotiation. Yeah. Talk a little bit about why these things are important and how they've influenced you. Yeah. Um, well, I, I feel like I started to have um, sort of queer thinking pretty early and felt different from a pretty early age. Um, started to have some initial kind of coming out conversations in middle school and then a lot more in high school. And then I started to actually really come out, um, you know, to, to my family and had my first long-term queer relationship right after I graduated from high school. Mm. And my, so my entire college experience, I was out and open and, um, at that point I wasn't. I had no language for polyamory. It was either you're monogamous and faithful or you're not. Yeah. Those were the options at that point. Um, and you're cheating. Yeah. And, and it was, there was not even language at that point of ethical non-monogamy. There was no conversation. There were people who dated around quote unquote, mm -hmm. um, but there was no sort of framework to allow people to be in anything other than a monogamous relationship or who were like non-committal. Mm. And so it didn't make for anything meaningful. It was sort of like, these are people who just want to like sleep around, date around, do whatever they want to do. They're more focused on their career or school or, you know, growing themselves or pursuing their dreams or whatever, finding themselves and it was never framed as like this meaningful approach to a relationship um, that could be different than the sort of picture we're all sold, mm. right? Of like, 
you meet someone, you fall in love, you get married, the relationship escalator. Escalator, escalator. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think we should use our effects. <laughs> we won't. We won't. We won't traumatize the audience quite yet, but we we have those available. So if any of you are feeling called for that to happen, we can do it. Um, yeah, so I think I probably would have entered into either, you know, some version of ENM, meaning ethical non-monogamy or polyamory at a younger age, had I had a framework that helps me to understand that as something that could be openly communicated and dialogued about with a partner. Um, or that was legitimate. Right? Yeah. I think that yeah. that is a major thing. And one of the things I think we're here to help reify, which is um, it is legitimate. And the mm-hmm. more people that talk about it and talk about it openly and honestly, that helps reify the thing that a lot of people are actually experiencing and living with and doing and to say it exists yeah we're here yeah and we have this whole social construct where we've normalized unethical non-monogamy and Mm. that's like an approach to relationships and we should just expect partners to cheat on us and then we have to work through it so that we can grow together and it's Mm. like growing together doesn't require crisis it doesn't require betrayal We can actually do that intentionally and with purpose and honor and integrity um, and care for our partner, partners and ourselves. So um, I, you know, had a variety of of um, queer relationships. I as somebody who, um, like I said, I, I use fluidity as a way to describe a lot of different components of my identity. And, um, I was like the only person that I knew, um, in my circle of people who use that term, but I felt closest. I didn't mm. feel like pan or omnisexual or bisexual. It didn't feel right to me. I had a lot of trans friends, even from high school. Um, sure. And which is maybe a little bit unusual for that time period, but I felt like it was to use the term bi for me personally, it felt really exclusive. And I know plenty of people who use that term and I totally support their identity. Um, For me, that felt like I was excluding people that I really loved and Mm -hmm. cared for. Um, And I, I needed something different to be able to describe how I felt about myself because even bi for me, it didn't feel... Like it could quite capture the way in which I felt like I was constantly changing and evolving. Sure. Um, so. And it, and it also um, presupposes the binary. Yeah. Um, and there are lots of people that reject that. Um, yeah. Like myself, and it it um, it eliminates them from your life. Right. Presumably. Yeah, and there are plenty of bi people who still use that, who totally embrace the trans community and non-binary people. And so, you know, I want to honor that people use terms to describe themselves in ways that they define it for themselves, which I think is part of what we're talking about here, not just in terms of sexual orientation, but in all these different identity identity, um, descriptors. And um, I think that's a key piece is that we can all use words and we feel like maybe we have an idea of what they mean. Um, 
And until you actually speak to a person and get a sense from them, you know, you don't know what that means to that person. Mm -hmm. So I think that is a critical piece of rather than just assuming gay or straight or somewhere in the middle, like just embrace a human and say, tell me who you are. Um, Tell me what that means to you. And how do you define yourself? Yeah. Maybe at some point, all of these labels can go away and we can just be who the fuck we are. That would be a really beautiful thing. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. In all ways. In it, precisely, in all ways. Yeah. We're a ways from that, and so I think so. This language is still really helpful. Yeah. It's really helpful in order to just continue saying we exist outside of the heteronormative, monogamous, cis mm-hmm. world that yeah. is well. Sadly, I think becoming even, you know, more reinforced these days. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like we're doing a little small part in making sure that like this voice, these voices are heard a little bit. Totally. That we're out there. This is like a radical, you know, I know it sounds maybe silly to say that, but it's like a radical affirmation of being able to embrace the human that you are the complete human in all aspects um, and that you don't have to follow the shoulds and supposed tos um, because those can be really limiting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I did obviously eventually get married. Uh, I never, ever, ever, ever thought I would get married. Um, And I met an amazing human. who their their own um, gender and um, relationship identity has changed over time, um, but um, you know, an, an AFAB human um, assigned female at birth. For those who are not familiar with AFAB, AMAB assigned male at birth. Um, so I was able to get married based on where I lived um, because the, that was legal. It was before marriage equality happened across the United States. And hopefully that continues. Seems like we're working on that right now. Yay, Supreme Court. Um, so <laughs> Boo, Supreme Court. <laughs> seriously. Um, yeah. And so um it, it was initially a monogamous marriage. Um, we had kind of a deal of like, if you're out at a bar, whether we're together or with friends or whatever, and you want to make out with someone, cool, whatever. Like, you know, no harm, no foul. Um, but it was like nothing more than that, really. And that continued to sort of evolve through like swinging with some other couples that we were close with and um and then um my ex-wife met somebody who um was really interested in her and wanted to um, potentially explore some uh even just going on a date and introduced the idea of polyamory to us and so we started having some dialogue around that and decided that we wanted to open up our marriage and in a more intentional way than we had historically because it gave us some different language so we started you know kind of 
reading about that, thinking about that, dialoguing about that. Um, and we still don't have all the tools that I think would have been useful for that conversation. Um, but we were able to sort of start exploring what that could mean. Um, and there were some really beautiful parts of that and, you know, some opening up of, you know, people that we were able to spend time with and understanding their experiences. Um, kind of joked because we called it the vagina train for a while of like a series of partners, 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 partners. Um, mm. And, um, and then we also had some really painful explorations of that, of understanding how to communicate boundaries yeah. and whether or not those were being respected and what happened when they weren't being respected by but a partner. They communicated first and upfront and did boundaries start merging and yeah. Yeah. Big and stuff. yeah. And especially when you're new to that, like you think you have a boundary at first and you think you've clearly communicated. And in some cases you realize that boundary isn't quite right. It's not exactly what you thought it was mm. for yourself. And then other times you realize it is exactly what I thought it was, but I did not communicate that as clearly as yeah. I had intended to. Or, or maybe similarly to that, you don't realize you've had a boundary until it's been crossed because totally. we're not raised to negotiate or think about the things no. that we need in our boundaries. And so in that scenario, and I've certainly experienced it, like oftentimes we're like, oh, whoa, that's a thing I need. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that until you totally blew by it. Yeah. And um, I think it's really fascinating too, especially when you go from being in a monogamous relationship to being in a non-monogamous relationship. There are certain boundaries that you sort of assume or presuppose mm. because they have been true. Yeah. And you, you know, each of you expect that different aspects of that relationship will remain and each of you expect and are open to different aspects of your relationship not remaining mm -hmm. and if you don't clearly discuss which of those things are um both understood to be true by both of you then boundaries will be crossed yeah and expectations will not be met right, right? because communication isn't there yeah so um yeah, we, we we definitely had some really beautiful and helpful experiences and some really painful ones. And um, ultimately, we did decide that a divorce was the right thing for our relationship. Um, we s remain close friends yeah, and I support. Which is awesome. Yeah, I feel very, very fortunate for that. And that's because we actually were at its core deeply good friends um, yeah. who cared so much about and still do to this day, you know, about each other's growth and well-being. And I feel fortunate to have been, um, you know, I, I've stayed connected to her and was able to go to her wedding and I'm close with her partner. Um, and that makes me feel really good. Um, even though it was a, a painful process, it was a really important one for both of us as as individuals and as people who are connected to each other. So um, that was really important. And it really wasn't until after that, that my exploration of what I consider the way I approach poly now truly emerged because I was approaching that 
from the beginning mm. with partners instead of entering into a monogamous relationship that then shifted and, to and figure it all out. Yeah. And, and to be clear, like that is also okay and fine and it's can different. totally work. Um, but it was a different approach for me and it allowed me to really explore what polyamory meant for me, um, starting from my own experience of entering into dating um, and, you know, meeting new people and having relationships um, that were coming from me entering into that alone um, and being able to navigate that through discussion and dialogue with the people that I was having relationships with. So I would say I, I started my like queer, both in terms of gender and sexual orientation exploration first, and then moved into um, polyamory. And then kink kind of came a little bit later through some of the relationships that I had. Um, probably sex was before all of those, <laughs> Yeah, you know, but um, that was a little bit of my kind of arc of those things. So I've been talking for a while now, Cal. I would love to hear a little bit more about some of your experiences and, yeah. and journey. Why this, why this thing is important to me. Yeah. I don't know. You know, it seemed fun. We were talking about it one day and I was like, <laughs> what the hell? Why not? <laughs> I'll make something up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I love this because my experience is is in in many ways very different and then in some some key ways very similar um so yeah growing up i was always a misfit i i just never fit in i couldn't figure out why why i didn't fit in um i i didn't necessarily know we didn't to your point at least in my um sphere at the time uh, have the language this is not to say the language didn't exist but sure, yeah. it was unavailable to me yeah um and that that's a a big thing um i think there's a lot of work in psychology that talks about you know how words change the way we think yeah um and knowing words and having words and i think all of these words there's so much you know conversation around do we need this many words to discuss all of the ways that people can be and i think right now the answer is absolutely yes yeah we yeah. need them because it changes the way people think and if we pretend that it doesn't exist yeah. um we are we're acting violently towards a group of people that do in fact exist and yeah. by giving them words um we give us all agency Totally. And I didn't have that. I didn't have that agency. I didn't have those words. Um, and I didn't. You didn't have the internet. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> and so I didn't know what I was. I just knew I didn't fit. Yeah. I didn't fit. Totally. I wasn't, I, I didn't feel um, like I, I, did, I never fit in with the boys. Mm -hmm. um, most of my friends were girls. Um, I didn't understand why that was. Mm -hmm. Um and it had, you know, upon reflection, and I'm still working through a lot of this in therapy, so, you know, I don't have all the answers. Yay, therapy. Um, yeah, yay, therapy. Um, I just knew I was a misfit um, yeah. for most of my, um, my youth. 
Um, and I, 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 I almost got kicked out of school for wearing, you know, skirts and fishnets. And I, I wasn't even doing that, you know, it wasn't to be provocative. Mm -hmm. it, um, I think it was more of a, at the time it, it was, it's funny, my, my daughter, it's like this inception, this, uh, she, you know, for those of you who don't live in my house, um, <laughs> she is um, on a rampage against the dress code because it's sexist. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt similarly, but coming from a different angle. And I was like, you know, I'm fully within the dress code and they had a fit. Um, I wanted sure. to dress however I wanted to. Mm. And it seemed absurd that uh, for me, all of these clothes were fine on paper they right. of course weren't and i was almost suspended but i went to a a really miserable uh religious high school so that didn't help mm. uh, but after that i was fully indoctrinated with the relationship escalator yeah. you know um and so i was was on it i was i was just blind to myself my own needs um my own sexuality my own you know uh thoughts about uh, sex and how I engaged it, what it meant for me. And I stumbled into, um, you know, um, a, a marriage that was really toxic, that mm -hmm. was really hard, mm -hmm. that didn't uh, see me as a human, that saw, uh, you know, uh, sex as essentially a bad thing. And these were patterns that I was used to growing up in a religious family. Sure, yeah. um, I was like, oh, I must be a horrible piece of shit because I like sex. Because I think it's, it's, it's gratifying and fulfilling. And I, uh, I, I was, it was just reinforced for me that, no, you are a dirty, miserable human yeah. for wanting to have sex at all. Yeah. Um, it's not a, a valid means of self-expression yeah. or connecting to another person or persons. This is bad and gross and dirty, except when you want to make a baby. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it, precisely. Uh, and, and so, and that relationship was toxic for a whole host of reasons outside of that. But my point is like up through that relationship, my self-expression, my self-understanding was stunted, was, mm -hmm. um, was on pause. And it wasn't until that relationship ended, out of it I got two of the most amazing kids. And I went on a journey of, of introspection mm -hmm. for, for almost four, four and a half years. Um, I didn't date. I didn't have sex, mm -hmm. <laughs> which, which is crazy to think about right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was what I needed. Yeah. I needed to go inside and really think. And I did, um, for, for the, about four and a half years. And then as I started dating again, I realized so much more about myself yeah um it's amazing what four years of just it's it can be sometimes miserable and gut-wrenching yeah um and scary but it's totally worth it i recommend it to anyone um 
Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not really encouraged, right, to prioritize having that relationship with ourselves. Yeah. And that's what that can be of, of again, to our earlier point, like our primary relationship always being with ourselves. Yeah, I wish I did it when I was 12. Um, totally. And and so I, instead I, I did it in my 30s. And um, after after that, you know, it, it, it wasn't smooth sailing. Sure. But I understood myself in a way that allowed me to um, communicate and learn in relationships so much faster. Yeah. Um, and it was like a rocket that took off after that. Um, I was in a few relationships. Um, one ended, I call it my last attempt at monogamy. It was mm-hmm. my first my first relationship since my marriage. And again, I was like, oh, this is the thing we do. And then something clicked at the end of that. I was like, there has got to be a better way. Yeah. Um, and then I met up with a, a, a friend of mine who had is in the poly and queer and kinky community. We were walking and um, I, I had had this idea and I was talking with them and they were telling me about their husband and their girlfriend and then their girlfriend's husband. And um, I was like, oh, there is a whole language mm. around mm-hmm. this thing that I've like stumbled upon. Not that I invented it, but that I, like it, it's a it's an example of like how stunted your growth can be when you don't have the language to totally. talk about like all of the ways to exist and it was so illuminating for me and from there i it's um, like a whole another reality it's like yeah when people do the your brain just is like it's like your your whole concept of reality shifts because all of the things that you thought were true are no longer true yeah and not necessarily in a way that feels limiting or bad, but in a way that lets you redefine your entire sense of the universe and how we connect to other human beings. Yeah, and I think what happened for me is I was like, oh, a lot of my frustration, a lot of the things that I felt down about myself mm-hmm. around are, were because I didn't have the words or the community totally. in which to say, yes. I am poly, I am non-binary, and that's okay, and people will still care about yes. me and love me because I reject the notion of being a man. Um, mm-hmm. I know m- my voice is read as male, and I can't do anything about that. I don't necessarily want to do anything. I, yeah. I suppose I could. Um, I love my body and my voice, and I reject at least the society's notion um, of mm-hmm. what it means to be um, a, a male performing human, I don't, yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't resonate with me. It's not. It's just not who I am. It doesn't make you feel safe in your body. It, it doesn't. Yeah. and I and I, and I perform gender in my own way. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to their being too. I love the mm-hmm. notion of being able to perform uh, gender in however it comes out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, um, I came out shortly thereafter, uh, to my mom and then my children. Um, it took me a little bit longer 
uh, to come out uh, to my kids as Polly because um, in our state and I think most of the country that is widely misunderstood and unaccepted by probate courts and that's a thing that matters to me sure. uh, but yeah. you know when my daughter came out to me we had just a, a beautiful celebration um, and I remember I, I think you were there when mm -hmm. I told her uh, I was Polly and she was just like yeah, I know. Yeah, I got it. And that, I think, was the most beautiful way anyone could be mm -hmm. accepted. Yeah. Um, was, it was kind of like this goal re reversal. Totally. Um, so. And this beautiful way of, like, I, it's a thing about this current generation that I just it actually gives me so much hope because there's such an embrace of the depth and width and breadth of human experience by young people yeah um I wish I could still say I was one um I feel that way but you know when I see kids whether they're in you know grade school or middle school or high school and even college who just accept that, you know, there are so many different ideas about how to be yourself um, and how to have relationships with yourself or others that are meaningful, um, including like if you don't want to have relationships yeah. um, and that being valid, like, I mean, you can have meaningful important relationships without them being sexual or romantic mm -hmm. and there's space for that and that was not a thing you were frigid or you were an old maid or whatever you know mm -hmm. there was this whole attitude of like you were sort of a cast aside um, yeah and all these things that that made you be someone who society could just sort of say wasn't important or wasn't mm -hmm. valid and now like young people are like Whoever you are, like however you want to express that, whether that's in relationship to others or not, is important and valid. And yeah. you are someone who belongs here. I think it's amazing. Like kids just get it. I think it's it's um, just remarkable to see that um, like the things that you and I were indoctrinated with are just that. Yep. They're indoctrinations. Yep. Uh, they need to be taught. Mm -hmm. And we haven't we have a choice as a society to stop teaching them. Yep. And I know even my kids, um, they're they're oblivious to it. They they haven't been indoctrinated in the same ways. There's still sure. some of the same poison, certainly. Yeah. Um but it it was just amazing. I was at a, a track meet for my daughter. Uh, I think I told you about this. Mm -hmm. um, and there were two uh, trans boys, and they apparently were read as uh, girls by one of the coaches at the mm -hmm. other school. Yeah. Uh, and they called the boys up, and these uh, two trans boys went over to jump in the race. And the coach was like, oh, no, this it's the boys. And they just they just said, Oh, we're boys, and he was like, oh, "Okay," and yep. scooped him in the race, and they ran, and yeah. it was like, uh, uh, like to me, that was such a beautiful moment. And mm -hmm. meanwhile, like the township I'm in is like still yeah. struggling with all of the bullshit out there around, you know, how to manage 
and talk about sexuality with children. Mm. And there's a lot of, you know, um, uh, controversy in our neighborhood and people that are still very homophobic and don't want any sort of relationship structure talked about in front of children that isn't cishet monog. Uh, And so we're still navigating through it. Totally. But things like that I take as bright spots. Um, And so... Um, I think I think the future is bright if we keep talking openly about this stuff. And I'm I'm just gonna uh, pin a thought, whether it's for this episode or a later one, where we can talk more about consent as well, because that was a thing that it really wasn't until I entered into poly kinky spaces where it was actually literally the first time I can remember the specific experience that I had. Um, And I was in my late 30s, um, where I remember consent being a question I was actually asked, and waited for the answer. Mm. And I realized in that moment that that had never actually been true. Mm. Um, where I had been asked the question, but it was sort of like when you see someone and you say, hey, how you doing? You just keep walking. You know, people talk about like when somebody asks you how you're doing and like, did they actually ask you or did they just do the thing where you're like, hey, what's up? You know, blah, 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 carry on. And like, you don't even wait for the answer kind of thing. Um, Like that is generally how in our generation consent was expressed. Yeah, someone didn't didn't say no please stop please stop no yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it was like um if you didn't say no loudly so that someone in a different room could hear you then it was a yes that is definitely a good candidate uh for a show and i think it's a perfect segue for the types of stuff we are going to talk about yes um what's going to be on this podcast um Well, we are going to share personal experiences, as you have heard, listener. Um, Some of them may include really explicit things, both in terms of sex. Um, In some uh, instances, there may include um, kink. Um, There could include some experiences of sexual violence. And we will absolutely do our best to make sure that we're putting trigger warnings on episodes, if that's true. but we we really want this to be a space where we can talk openly about our own experiences, where we can invite the experiences of our listeners and people in our own circles that are really important to us so that we can um, jump into things that um, are kind of beyond the surface level. Yeah, exactly. We are going to talk about some big stuff and sometimes it might be uh, comforting and vulnerable and other times it it might be uh, hard to listen to, and we will do our best to make sure we, we share that up front so that everyone knows what we're getting into. Um, I know I didn't, I didn't finish in my story uh, my, my kink side. And mm, I, I yes. Know we'll, have, so, yes. we'll have episodes to get there, but in, in my coming out, um, kink is something that I had... Um, been intrigued with and also grew um, enamored by and 
uh, in my explorations uh, in a poly kind of ecosystem, I was able to, to kind of water in ways that were incredibly fulfilling. And so I'm sure we will talk more about that in future episodes. For sure. Um, yeah, and I think those will be, I just want to invite our listeners too to think about the fact that like these are going to be conversations that that might be painful but that's pain as part of an evolution and also hopefully extraordinarily joyful that we can um you know feel the spectrum of human emotion together and we can explore that in a way that feels true and whole and um like all of the all of the things feel like, all the things yeah we yeah. we want it to be um something that's 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 true um and that means that there might be some icky feelings um <laughs> as we like to say um uh, but also that um we recognize that there's levity to be had in that there is um, we can laugh about hard stuff Indeed. And icky feelings aren't always bad, especially when you give them space and navigate through them and use them for growth. Yeah. We've both done that. Tell us, how should people get in touch with us? Yes. Well... Betty Rubble. (laughs) Cal. um, We really want... um, folks who who find this interesting or upsetting or provocative or um you know find community in this to be able to reach out and share um their own experiences or share ideas of things of hey this is a thing that i've been really struggling with or a thing that i find really beautiful or amazing about um my life and i'd love for you to dive into this so we do have uh an instagram um which is halfway to somewhere podcast it's halfway the number two somewhere podcast um you can also email us at the same um handle halfway number two somewhere podcast at gmail.com and We'd love to be able to respond to you, um, whether in a future episode or by email or on the Instagram account. Um, share your ideas, share your thoughts, engage with us. This is meant to be a conversation, not just between Cal and I, but also between um, you know the folks that were that are hearing us and us. Absolutely. Well, welcome to Halfway to Somewhere, and we hope that you can listen to us sometime soon.